Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm going to be reading the first part of the scripture. I'm going to be reading Hebrews um, chapter 12, verse 4 to 10. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. Thank you. Amen. So the second part of the scripture reading, Hebrews 12, I'm going to complete it, Hebrews 12, 11 to 17. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter roots grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance, inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. Amen. Well, when you hear that scripture, my on, Rob, yeah? You might think, well, that's an odd scripture. Why are we looking at that one? <laughs> and the book of Hebrews. Priscilla had something to say there, obviously. What does she want us to hear? We'll blame it on her. So we've just finished Easter. Easter, we rejoice in what God has done for us in Christ. It's the, perhaps the major Christ, Christian holiday, major part of the Christian narrative, the resurrection of Christ, very, very important. And what we're looking at post-Easter is how do we follow Jesus then, because community of faith, we have this message of hope, so then what, what do we do with that? And we started with it last week, we're going to continue with that focus on how we walk our race. We have the question, what helps us to run our race well? 
what helps us to run our race well. And then we have a series of texts. I'm going to read them, and then I'm going to say something about that word, discipline. For the Lord disciplines those whom he loves and chastises every child whom he accepts. Right off the top, we recognize that this is a parent-child relationship. So its text says everyone, sons, daughters, parent to child. So that's, that's key. Remember, God is God, right? God is God. He's bigger than us. So he looks at us as his children. So for the Lord disciplines those whom he loves and chastises every child whom he accepts. For they disciplined us for a short time, this is as parents, earthly parents, as seem best to them, but he disciplines us for our good in order that we may share his holiness. Adult parents discipline their children in some way, whatever way that is, we all have done it, whatever way that is expressed. The writer says God does so with us too. Now, that discipline always seems painful rather than pleasant at the time. Makes sense. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Discipline. You know, as parents, we don't take courses on how to discipline our children very well. At least I didn't. I remember when, I, when Natalie was born, so here I am, I was only 25 years old, Natalie's born, and I'm thinking I had never had a course in how to do anything with a little child. All of a sudden, we have this great responsibility, this little bundle. I know nothing about what I'm supposed to be doing. Even though I had done, what, 10 weeks of some sort of course in a hospital to get you ready, it really wasn't enough. So, then as the children start growing older, well then how do you, what, how do you handle the whole correction thing? You know, everybody's on their own, man. You're just flying by the seat of the pants, right? Like, you have no idea. You're just doing what you think is best. And oftentimes, we just repeat what our parents did because that was the modeling that we received. Well, my mother was a little Irish woman, five feet tall, five foot tall, who had an Irish temper. You know, that, that you see that in movies, right? My mother had an Irish temper. So, uh, anyway, when I was a little kid, and you acted out in some way, the belt came out, right? And I, that, I mean, that's, that was what the Irish did back then, and my mother, man, she was going to do it. That's what she did. <laughs> Today, maybe we don't express it that way. I remember one, I was walking home from school one day, and a, and a young girl, a little girl, threw a rock at me. I was like about seven or eight. So I picked up a rock and whipped it back at her. Good thing I missed her, because it didn't sail by her head by that much. Went right by her head, went right through the front window of their house. Big window. And so then, of course, my dad has to replace that window. Well, back in the day, that was a lot of money. He even replaced it himself. I, I mean, I would not have any idea how to do that. He, he knew how to do that. He replaced the window by himself. So when he was going off to work that day, he sees me at the top of the street, and he says, your mother wants to see you. Well, I knew what that was about. My dad was not the disciplinarian, it was my mother. So I go home. She wants me on the bed, she pulls out the strap, she's gonna strap me, right? But I move so much in the bed that she can hardly hit me, right? I'm moving fast, <laughs> agile, quick. She hit me a few times, then she left. I don't think that was the best modeling of 
discipline, but my mother was sweet. She became a saint eventually. She often said, you know, I, I wasn't a saint when I was younger, Alan. I said, I know you weren't a saint. <laughs> I get that. <laughs> so it's not very pleasant at the time. Later, I told her, well, you know what? The little kid threw the rock at me first. She did? And she marched right up to see that house and went to the owner and said, your child threw a rock first. Meanwhile, the window was already fixed, but anyway, it changed nothing, right? So why do I say that? Because the word discipline, is, the root of that word is child. It's child, paideia, it's child. So it's definitely parent to child, okay? So we have to hold on to that. And it's, can also, it's also translated just as equally training. Discipline is training. So for the English translations, they've gone with the word discipline, but it could equally be training. Wherever you see the word discipline there, you could put training in. Discipline and training, I don't think, sounds quite so harsh as discipline. Trained. God's care for us. Now, when we look at a passage like this, we also have to recognize that this is not a theodicy. It is not the writer saying what is God thinking about every element of suffering and evil in the world. That's not the point. We can think of lots of cases where we suffer. Stuff happens. The text is not addressing all of that. This is a pastoral statement where the person in charge is saying, you guys are going through a lot of stuff. How do we handle that? But it is not trying to make a statement in all evil in the world and all suffering in the world. If we make it do that, you're pushing the text too far. It's a pastoral statement. God is in the business of molding us and shaping us and training us, if you like, so that we will become more and more like him. Ephesians 5, 1, 2 says that we are to be imitators of God. Paul writes that language. That's pretty forceful to be an imitator of God. So we have a big goal. So God has an interest in you. God loves you. He cares for you as a father to a child, as a parent to a child. And so he works in his own way to help shape us, whatever way that is. Now you have to reflect on your life. If you've been a Christian for a while, how might that have shown up in your life? Only you can tell that. So the issue for us really on our end, will we accept the training? And a key part is the end of verse 11. If you just know what the writer says here at the end of 11. Now discipline always seems painful rather than pleasant at the time, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. This is the key to those who have been trained by it. So the point is our attitude. What's our attitude to all that stuff? To those who have been trained by it. God can work in your life, but how are you receptive to that? Whatever that might be. How, how do we receive it? Have we been trained by it? So that's all about your attitude. It's all about my attitude. Because we can say, I, you know, God, I'm just angry at you, and that's, that's all there is to it, whatever the issue is. I didn't get the job, so maybe we picked on that one. 
And, and so now I'm angry. I'm uptight. So then I don't receive too much about that whole process. So how do, are we receptive to whatever we might see as God's training in our lives? God is working in your life. He's working in my life. Not always easy to tell how that flies. But you and I are asked to reflect on those sorts of things and say, you know, what does God have me for me in this? I mean, Henry Nouwen used this example, I've mentioned it before, that an athlete, a great athlete, who, by the way, everybody trains, right? If you're an athlete, you train, even no matter at what level. You have to go to the... the the tryouts and the practices and so on. You have to. I played football in high school. You had to go to the practices. And the practices weren't fun. I remember at the end of every one of our practices, we had to run across the field, and the first few who got there were out. They got to go to the showers. And then you kept going, back and forth, back and forth. So what I would do is, this is just who I was, I would, I would just kind of coast for the few, first few, and then the other people would go, who would won, and then I would decide, I want out right now. And then I would run full stream, I'd make it, and I'd be out. That was it. I didn't like it. I could have run faster, maybe I'd have got out earlier. But that, it does take practice, it does take training, right? We have musicians who play at the front, that takes training. If you're going to be a writer, that takes training. So we're all used to it. If you're going to be a dancer, that takes training. So training is, we all accept it in so many ways. But in our spiritual life, will we accept whatever training that might go on? Or do we refuse it? Now again, some situations are very tough, very difficult. So I'm not saying God is doing that to you. Nevertheless, whatever it is, what do we receive from it? Now and says, you, as the athlete, you have an accident. It can be the end of your career, or it can be the beginning of a new, whole new vocation. End of a career, beginning of a whole new vocation. Now, that's, that's a big example. I don't know if do they do that. So anyway, do we really want to run well, or do we become lazy? Do we become angry? Do we become complacent? What is our response the text tells us that God trains us for our good. Will we, be, will we receive it? Will we receive it? Yay or no? Hmm. I led a musical group for a bunch of years. And for some reason, the musical group was down, very negative. And so I was trying to keep, as the leader, the spirits of the group up, 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 up. And one day, Larry, my friend, the bass player, says, Alan, what's going on? And I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. What do you mean, what's going on? He says, you're acting kind of crazy. What do you mean? Well, you're, all, you're always going this and this and this and this. I had no idea. I said, really? I'm doing that? Yeah, you're doing that. It's bugging everybody. I heard that. I said, oh, really? Okay, calm back. 
bring it back. He, that was a bit of training, right? I could have said, Larry, get out of my face, man. You, you, it's, my, it's not your group, it's my group. But Larry corrected me. That's just a little example. How do we respond, right, to the corrections that come our way, and even on a spiritual front? Our attitude, then, is very key. Secondly, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. I take this as weight training. If you go to the gym, you do cardio training, but you also do resistance training, right? That's what they all get you doing. So part of it is cardio, you work out, you're working your heart, your lungs, and so on. Another part of it is you're resisting weight at some level. You're pushing. You can just do it with your own body weight, or you can be working with weights. And as you resist that, that form of resistance, it strengthens your muscles, it strengthens your bones. We know that, right? Interesting, the word here is an unusual word, make straight, is orthos, which we get orthopedic and all those related words. Orthos is make straight. And so the challenge is here is that we can have something that's out of joint, that's not right, and we can either make it straight or not, right? So we can live with something that's out of joint for a long time because we resist. We don't want to do it. We don't, we don't want to make it right. To make it straight is orthos. Make the bone straight. So if we will do that, then we are growing and benefiting in this way. He says, strengthens, or she says, strengthen weak hands and knees, physically and emotionally. So a lot of this is, is personal reflection, right? I can't say what that means to you at all. I wouldn't even try. What's weak hands and weak knees, physically, emotionally, for you? What is out of joint that maybe needs to be made strong, straight? Could be stuff, maybe there's nothing. So the question is, what in our lives is out of place? What needs physiotherapy, spiritual physiotherapy? I go to a chiropractor once a month. She's just up the street. She calls it a tune-up. You just get tuned up. Does this, cracks this, cracks that, right? Boom, boom, boom. Once a month. I'm there every month. Boom. She says it's good for me, and she's been making money on me for like 25 years. So everybody's happy. I think it helps. Strengthening muscles, bones. What is out of joint? What needs to be straightened? We have to ask ourselves that. Thirdly, pursue peace with everyone and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. She's saying make healthy relationships. Interesting here, pursue peace. That is actively. It's not just follow peace. It's not just go through the motions. It is pursue peace. We have to go after it. Peace is shalom. If we want to know shalom, then you have to put in your work to get to that. Pursue it. Not just follow. Seek it. And seek holiness, which, by the way, is, is a reference to the Beatitude, Matthew 5.8, without which we won't see God. So if that's the case, then we want God's work in our lives because we want to see him. Do we not? 
So you see, I mean, it just makes sense that if in every part of our world and our lives we need to train, maybe there needs to be some spiritual training going on. That we're not just, we're not just going by the seat of our pants. We're not just going on the current and just floating along. We, we want to grow spiritually. The writer is assuming that. And is saying, hey, it requires some discipline to do that. Training, whatever word you want. But you have to work at it. I have to work at it. At least that's the invitation. Makes sense to me. Hebrews 10, 24, 25 says, as us as believers, don't stop meeting together. <laughs> Keep going to church. Even when maybe people at church you don't even like. Keep going. The writer says that way back in the first century. Why? Because people, you know, tick us off and we don't want to go. And the writer's saying, yeah, but you need to go. Because you don't like somebody doesn't mean you don't go. They said it then. Why did she say it? Well, it was an issue back then and it's an issue now. That's just one example. Read your Bible. Only you can make yourself read your Bible. Why would you do it? It's our great book. Every faith in the world has some great book. So if they have a great book, surely we as Christians have a great book. Get in and read it. I mean, that's training. And then fourthly, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and through it many become defiled. Choose grace. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Grace. Thanks. Live in grace. Live in gratitude. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Muyua said. But that's an attitude that you and I have to choose. Because we, we can choose just the opposite. And the opposite for this writer is bitterness. And I find that interesting because bitterness is the Greek word. It's not used very often. Picreus. Pick. Rios. Picks. Pinpricks. Little pricks that bug us, that hurt us. That is bitterness. So we can dwell on those little pinpricks. They happen to all of us every day. Some sort of pinprick. We can focus on that, or we can somehow deal with it and say, to God, thank you. I don't know. But pinpricks is bitterness. I have a little health bag, a hygiene kit, and it's all disorganized, like most things in my life, and I put my finger in there, and, and I, I hit my finger on the, the little scissors in there, because the scissors were pointing up. Put my finger in like that. Ouch! That hurt a lot. That's a prick. Pinprick. Hurt. So in the pinpricks of life, we can become bitter. Lewis Smedes talks about joy killers. What are the joy killers in your life? In fact, he talks about it as the demons. What are the demons in your life that are joy killers? Things that come up and take away our joy.
He uses the example in his own life of making something small into a huge issue. He calls it catastrophizing. That's one of his issues. He catastrophizes. Somebody does something to it, and he blows it up into this. It's not just this anymore. It's this. And he says, that, that, I've had that all my life. And he says, it's a, it's a big joy killer. Because when I blow it up into this, now it takes away my joy. He uses that as an example for his life. Oh, I don't know. What's a joy killer in your life? Where bitterness comes in, resentment, anger, jealousy, coveting, whatever that, whatever that might be, joy killers. Will we accept the discipline in our lives? It ends with the example of Esau. I find this one interesting. Earlier, we, talked, we thought about, ja well, we didn't think hear his name, but Jacob, somebody's leg out of joint. Remember that Jacob argued with God all night, and what happens? God touches his leg, and he ends up with a limp. So we don't know if Jacob had a limp the rest of his life. We don't know that. But in the moment, it's out of joint. He has to deal with it. He wrestled with God all night. I don't know, have you ever wrestled with God all night? Probably some of you have. Maybe longer than a night, we wrestle with God. Worked out for Jacob. He learned something in that. Receives the blessing. And then we have poor little Esau. Remember Esau, he's the twin. Jacob's twin. Esau goes out into the field, he works hard, he comes back and he's famished, absolutely famished. And his brother is a little bit conniving, he's the trickster, and he's got a nice meal going on on the stove. Esau says, man, I want that food, I want that now. Give me that food, I'll give you anything, I'll give you anything so I can have dinner right now because I am so hungry. Jacob says, sure, I'll give you the food, but I want your blessing. I want your inheritance. And what does Esau do? He gives away his inheritance for a dinner. In fact, maybe for porridge. He yums it up, he starts eating it all up. Oh, yeah, that's way better. Thank you. And he loses his inheritance. Now, by the way, if you read the story of Esau all the way through, he also later experiences his own blessing. It's not that God says, oh, I don't like you, Esau, and I won't do anything for you. But that blessing, he loses. He had it, it was his. He gave it away for porridge. It's lost. Even God can't change that. It's lost. But he blesses Esau. Esau comes out okay. You can read the whole story. So it's not like we're picking on Esau here, but it's a life out of balance. Do you see what I mean? And we are all tempted with this. We are all tempted with immediate gratification, whatever that might be. We want this issue fixed. And I will give away a whole lot to get that. 
So the same thing can happen with us. Esau says at the end of this verse, and even though he was weeping and crying, repenting, he couldn't get the blessing back. I remember hearing a story, not a story, a sermon on that. How old would I have been? Maybe 20. Banfield Memorial Church on the other side of town. Al Fries was the preacher. We worked with Alf a little bit. He became an evangelist, and we toured with him, singing. But I remember him doing a sermon on that text. The text that you can get to your life and mess up, and no matter what happens, you can't undo that reality. We like to think we can undo every reality, right? Some act, some you can't. You drive a car and you drive crazy and you flip it and somebody in your car is killed, you can't undo that. That's done, man. No matter how much weeping there is. And so the writer puts that out. I mean, and that, I remember that, hearing that, and that gave me major pause. Wow. Just sat with that one. So will we hear it? So the issue in all of this is what, you know, what do we do, all right? What do we do with training, training? God trains us for his good. Pursue discipline and training. We do it in other areas. Can we do it in our spiritual life? So that we become all that we can be. Your true self. That's what God wants. Your true self. Can we find our true self? Secondly, can we strengthen weak muscles? A little bit of resistance training, orthos, pursue healthy relationships. Now, you know that one. Maybe, maybe some changes need to happen in your life. I don't know. That's, that's, you know, I know that. Choose grace, not bitterness. Training. Well, there's the writer. The writer puts all that out. All there in chapter 12. So if we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12 and 13, then this is part of the deal. So the encouragement is for us. We train our children best we can. God, we are his children. He trains us. It's always the question is how do we see that worked out in our lives, right? Where we can, we need receptive hearts to be able to say, yes, God, continue your work in me. Change me, mold me, make me an instrument of your peace. Can we do that? 